0: Us ...to our, our study this morning. As we come into these final few verses, few chapters really of the Gospel of Mark, I, I find uh, teaching these passages just to be really difficult on a, on a lot of levels. Uh, the, but one of them is, it's, it's hard to watch these scenes unfold. As you paint the pictures of the final hours of Jesus' life and you try to watch these things unfold, watching it like a movie as the scriptures record it for us, uh, it is gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching just to think about everything that Jesus is saying and the events that are happening and, and all that is going on. Uh, and I hope that you will appreciate these these final three or four lessons that we have in looking at just the beauty of what Jesus is doing for for us. Uh, the, the the prior paragraph of Mark chapter fourteen was really kind of one of our last high notes, where Jesus is with his disciples and he has taken the Passover and. Uh, push the meaning into the Lord's Supper and the fulfillment of the Passover all being on Him, that He is the one who has come to set people free and rescue them uh, from their sins. And now we see that in verse 26 that Jesus is leaving with His disciples and He is going to a place uh, that is Gethsemane as he's going to the Mount of Olives. You would leave then the, the, the Temple Mount area and you would cross then through the Kidron Valley and up the other side up to the Mount of Olives. And as they are going to the Mount of Olives, and here you can just imagine them after they have sung this hymn of verse 26 and arrive here on the Mount, Jesus just simply says, you are all going to fall away. Just imagine the weight of that. Here, instituting the Lord's Supper, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the blood of the covenant. And then as they sing one of those Hillel Psalms of the righteousness of God and the steadfast love of God walking up that mountain and telling the guys that are with him at this point, the other 11, Now, you're all going to fall away. You're not going to make it through today. Uh, You're not going to handle what's about to take place. You're all going to fall away. And then he proves it by quoting, you'll notice in verse 27, a quotation from Zechariah 13. Because this is what is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And notice again the highlight that this is God's doing. This has been something that has been critical to Mark's message again and again. Jesus is fully aware of everything that's going to happen. He knows that his disciples are about to abandon him in a moment. And he knows that what lies ahead of him. He knows the weight and the gravity of what's about to take place. He's fully aware of the events as they're going to unfold. And here he even quotes Zechariah 13, which highlights the fact that this is God who is behind it. That God will strike the sheep, and the sheep are going to be scattered. You are all going to fall away. You are all going to leave me. You are all going to wander away and abandon me at this important moment. And in expressing knowing all that is going to happen, and and saying that it is important to know the the context of Zechariah thirteen, because Zechariah thirteen is a pretty interesting. Passage, because the context of it declares that this is God's judgment. That God is striking the shepherd. The sheep are going to be scattered, and it describes two thirds of the sheep then perishing under judgment in that context. So then you have in verse nine, there's going to be this remnant, this other third, and they will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. What is so interesting about what Jesus is saying and what the, the prophecy is about is God is striking the shepherd. And most people are going to fall away from that. But there will be some who will be able to have that event happen and they are going to call upon the name of the Lord. And when they call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord is going to answer them and say, You are My people. It's all tied to this event. This is the event of reconciliation. This is the event to bring people back to Him. In fact, you will notice that Jesus even says that in verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you... To Galilee. I think that one of the biggest words in that sentence is you. He doesn't say, after I'm raised up, I'm going to go find a bunch of other disciples to lead because you guys all left me because you're all going to be struck. I'm going to be struck and you're all going to be scattered. No, he says, and after you all scatter, I'm going to be raised up. And you're all going to follow me again. And I'm going to lead the way to Galilee. But all this is according to the plan of God, striking the shepherds so that people can be reconciled to Him. And so what Jesus is warning them and telling them is that you're going to be put to the test and failed. And notice Peter in verse 29, Peter says to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Peter, here's what Jesus is saying. Strike the shepherd, the sheep are going to be scattered. You all are going to fail today. You are on the brink right here. You are all going to scatter and abandon me. And you have to love Peter, right? I mean, you do. You have to love the faith of Peter right here. I don't care if the rest of these guys all fall and they all run away. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fall away. I'm going to stay with you. Verse 29, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus says in verse 30, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will all deny me three times. I want you just to imagine if you were there hearing Jesus say that here we are on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says, you're all going to fall. All of you. They're all going to crash right now. Peter goes, They might, not me. And Jesus says, You're going to do it before the sun comes up. You're going to deny me three times before we even get to mourning. Can you imagine being told that? And notice verse 31 but they're emphatically saying, If I must die with you, I will never deny you. Peter goes, that's not going to happen. And notice the rest of verse 31, they all said the same. They're all saying this, we will all die with you. There is no way we're going to fail tonight. There is no way we're going to deny you. We will be with you to the very end. We would never abandon you. We would rather die than ever abandon you. There's no way that's going to happen. So I want you to hear the stage being set. Jesus goes, you need to watch out. You're all going to fall. And all the disciples go, no, we're not. No way. We're with you. And I want you to put yourself there and think, which answer would you have given? I think we all would have been like, yeah, there's no way we're going to abandon Jesus. There's no way that we're going to do that. I wouldn't deny you before morning. Three times before morning? That's only in a few hours. That's just a couple hours away. You're going to say, I'm going to deny you three times? No, no, no. We will not fall. We will not abandon you. We will certainly stay with you no matter what. Surely we would have all piped in on that. It's easy to think. We wouldn't deny him. I can make it a couple hours. I can stay with you just a few hours, right? It's like saying from now until 2 p.m. You will not deny him, forsake him, or, or deny him, right? Like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And they're all like, we're not going to abandon you. Verse 32. And they went to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with them Peter, James, and John. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It is important that we do not understate the weight of this moment right now. And I think that's easy to do. I think it's easy in our, I guess, knowing the text so well. That it's easy just to think, you know, this is a really simple and easy scene. But notice what the text paints for us. In verse 33, it tells us that that Jesus is greatly distressed and troubled. He is not walking into this going, well. This is going to be easy, guys. This is going to be no big deal. You know, let's just let's just get on with this. This is the first time you really see this angle when it comes to the life of Jesus. To say he's greatly distressed and troubled, and in the very next words, I'm gr- deeply grieved to the point of death. You can't alleviate those words. The weight. That Jesus feels here at this moment. It is a heavy moment. It is a difficult moment. And this is why he's telling his disciples... You need to watch. You need to be ready. He's already warned them about the temptation that lies ahead and the difficulty that these next few hours are going to bring. You guys are going to fail. So sit here and watch. And I'm going to go over here and pray. And I think it's so important that we see that this is Jesus' response to the difficulty. What is he going to do when he is deeply distressed and troubled and his soul is grieved to the point of death. He's going to pray. That's what needs to be done at that moment. In this life-crushing difficulty and severity of trial that he is facing, it is time to go to the Father and pray. And I think it's easy for us to question words like verse 35 and 36, like removing the cup and him praying if it possible the hour might pass from him. And I sincerely doubt and challenge any idea that suggests that Jesus is looking to get out of this because he knows that's what he's come for. He has declared that this is the reason He's come again and again and again. He has given the details and warned them that this is the the fate and this is not only the, the whole plan of God, but that this is all by His own will. If He wanted to stop this, He certainly could. He's said that. <laughs> He's laid that out to them again and again. It's only because I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. He's fully in control of this thing. But I think it is difficult for us being 2,000 years removed to, to grasp the horror of the cross. We have sanitized it put jewelry on it and made it such a small thing that it is just nearly impossible for us to appreciate. And you can read all the history about it you want. None of us have ever seen it to be able to appreciate the awful terror of what the cross looks like. Roman citizens were not allowed to be put to death that way. That's how horrible it was. It was so horrible, Roman writers refused to write about it. It was so terrible. It was one of the most shameful and one of the most torturous ways that you could die. We do have an historical record that people lived to almost up to nine days on a cross. Nine days with nails in your hands and feet, bleeding your body in shock, difficulty breathing, and you are feeling for day after day your body slowly but surely dying. We can't appreciate it. And to be able to challenge Jesus in any way and go, well, here He is talking about the cup and why would He come about it that way? I think speaks to our Western <laughs> point of view that we don't understand how bad it was. And I think it's something that I'm looking forward to talking about in some future lessons this year. Is that I think we are able to understate what Jesus did. Sometimes what we do is we oversimplify the message and we say, well, Jesus came and Jesus died. And it's important that we recognize the gospel message is not merely the death of Jesus. Because you do not have that Jesus was able to come and live a perfect life for 90 years and then quietly pass into the night and sleep and die of natural causes. Right? If it's only death, why not just live a perfect life and just die like we all wish we will that you just maybe not wake up when you get to that point and be done that's because death is not the issue the cross is the issue it is not enough for jesus to simply die he must die on a cross and i believe that is the issue of the prayer and the issue of the distress There is no other way. Can the redemption of the world happen another way? And the answer is no. It must go through a cross. And that is what is so amazing about what you see Jesus doing is that His concern is not self-preservation. I don't want to go through the cross. The humanity of Jesus clearly on display with the horror of the cross just hours away. But that is not what is important. What is important is the will of the Father. The saving of creation. That is what matters. Because Jesus can walk out of this at any moment. We have seen in the Gospel accounts, if Jesus does not want people to lay hands on Him and arrest Him, He can walk through a crowd and nobody touch Him. Remember, they all tried to throw him off a cliff and he just went, ah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Jesus can completely do that. No, the cross is what stands before him. These are the temptations that Satan is throwing at him in the wilderness. Glorification can come another way. You can have all the kingdoms of the earth and have everybody worship him. You. you just bow down to me. Let's avoid the cross. Who wouldn't want to avoid one of the most torturous ways to die? One of the most awful ways you can go. That you would spend potentially days, you could spend over a week dying on a cross. But what you see Jesus doing is really what the value of prayer is all about. It is something that we have come to understand why we pray, why we need to pray, what prayer does for us, is that prayer is about aligning our will to God's will. Prayer is all about aligning our will to God's will, and that's what you see him expressing in these words, yet not what I will, but what you will. God's will is what matters here. And I want us to hear this really important message that Jesus is giving us right here. That the will to obey the Father is stronger than His desire to serve Himself right here. And it was true of all of His life. But this is where it is truly challenged. Is your will to obey the Father stronger than Than your own will of self-preservation. And doing what you would desire. Doing what you would want to do. Do you see the contrast? What do you see Jesus telling the disciples? But that self-preservation is going to come greater to you. Than to doing the will of the Father. You will all fall. You are all going to abandon me. You are all going to leave me at this moment. They are going to succumb to their own desires in doing their own will, and Jesus will not right here. He will do the will of the Father. It is amazing that He's going to do this. And as He goes this distance in deep distress... His soul is sorrowful and troubled even to death. And it says that he is on the ground praying. In verse 37, he comes back to his disciples and he finds them sleeping. They're thinking about themselves. And I think it is beautiful that what Jesus does is Jesus is concerned about them. Why are you sleeping? Lotus verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Do you not understand? What is about to happen right now? Jesus just told them, you're all going to fall. You might need some spiritual boost right now. You are all going to disperse. You're all going to leave me. And even though they're all claiming they won't, Jesus has said, now you need to sit here and watch. And he goes over and prays. And he comes back and do you see them praying, Lord, give us the strength that we're going to need in this moment because we do not want to fall because Jesus has told us that we're all going to abandon him back of you they're all asleep <clears throat> and mind you it's not 7pm 8pm we're in the middle of the night this is definitely sleeping time this isn't like 10pm oh you know we kind of get tired in middle of the night and what happens here is that the disciples are not aware of how great the temptation is they're not aware of what's just about to happen they don't understand they don't get it they think they're strong But Jesus is challenging them here and saying you need to watch. Verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know you think that you're going to withstand. You've made your proclamation. We will die with you, but the flesh is weak. You need to be awake and you need to watch so that you don't fall into temptation. This is going to be your challenging moment. They need to be watching and praying. And Jesus goes away and prays again and comes back. And it says in verse 40, he finds them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. I love the words of of verse 40 when he just simply says there, and they did not know what to answer him. Do you feel that in your life? Okay. And Jesus goes, listen, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. I need you to stay awake. I need you to pray. You need to be, you need to be alert because temptation's coming. This is going to be difficult. Yes, I know the Spirit is truly willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I'm going to go back over here and pray, and I'll be back in a few minutes, okay? goes over and prays, and he comes back, and they're right back to sleep. And the reason I love verse forty, they, they did not know what to answer him is what's your excuse? What are you gonna say? <laughs> what's gonna be your answer when Jesus says to you, You really need to be aware and awake and ready and right right now and they just go back to sleep. Little do they know at verse 41, here Jesus says, We're out of time. The hour has come. The Son of Man is being betrayed at the hands of sinners. Rise, let, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And immediately, verse 43, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. <clears throat> And with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. just want you to visualize the scene. Jesus has just woken His disciples back up and goes, we're out of time. They're here. And the they, verse 43 describes this crowd with swords and clubs. This is an intimidating, violent-looking group. This is a big group of people who look like they are ready to fight. Swords and clubs in the middle of the night. Here comes this big group. Here they are. Can you imagine as you're watching this crowd with swords and clubs coming at you, and in front of that group is a man that you have spent the last three years or more of your life, day in and day out, leading the way. And he walks up to Jesus, verse 45. He went right up to him and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Just watch him walk right up. Verse 46, and the crowd goes up and arrests him. They lay their hands on him and seize him. One of the disciples, verse 47, grabs a sword and gets ready to go. Grabs a sword, swings that sword, and takes the ear off of a servant of a high priest. And Jesus is not going to have any of that. Verse 48, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Is this some kind of necessity that I am some kind of dangerous revolutionary and murderer that you would come out here with swords and clubs to do this? Verse 49, every day I was with you in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me. You, you, I'm just walking around the temple courts every day. Teach, you could have walked up at any time. No, at night and with a fearsome crowd with swords and clubs is how you're going to come. Verse 49, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. It's all going according to plan. You're going to come at me this way, but this is the way God had designated for this to go. And I think verse 50 then is perhaps the most chilling words of the whole account. And they all left him in flight. You know, just hours ago, they had said, there's no way we would ever leave you. We'd rather die than ever leave you. And Jesus has said, that sounds good. Spirit sure willing. Flesh is weak. Wait till you see what's about to happen. We probably underestimate the danger of this crowd. Mark gives us a little bit of help with that. Verse 51, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth in his body, and they seized him, and he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. We sometimes visualize the scene as just simply, well, they were just coming for Jesus, and the disciples could have just followed him and seen where he went. Not true. They're starting to grab the disciples too. They try to grab this one man and rip his clothes off. He doesn't care. He's running. He's out of here. We underestimate the danger that these men were facing. Only an hour earlier saying, we'll never leave you. We'd rather die. We'll never forsake you. We would never deny you. We would never walk away from you. Verse 50, and they all deserted him and ran away. The account here is certainly far more than just retelling a history of what happened in the final hours of Jesus' life. We've been studying in the Gospel of Mark this past year how Mark is teaching us about discipleship and that the way to follow Jesus is to follow Him to the cross. And that's where we're coming around to now. If you've been with us from the very beginning, you might remember that the original advertisement was the King's cross. And that's what Mark has been targeting. Is Here is the King and all of His glory in those early chapters. But all of it is funneling to this moment that the king must go to the cross and if we are going to be followers of him, that we must do the same. It is so easy for us to think that we would be able to withstand any trial and with any difficulty that would possibly come along. It would be easy for us to say, well, we would never do what these guys did. We would never forsake the Savior. I think of the words of Peter that are probably the easiest of all to say. Everybody else might fall away, but not me. (laughs) You put us all in the crucible, and yeah, everybody else might scatter, but I would be strong. I would be able to withstand. Everybody else might collapse, but it certainly would not be me. I just want to make three observations about... What we're seeing in this paragraph is lessons for us. Number one, Jesus is emphasizing how much we need prayer. And what he's showing here is that prayer is needed to prepare for the distress and the difficulties that will come. Prayer isn't only to be used in the midst of the trial, absolutely. But notice He is not telling His disciples. Now, when the crowd comes, (laughs) that's when you need to start praying. He says, you need to be watching right now before they get here. I am telling you that your most difficult challenge is right ahead of you and you need to be awake and you need to be praying. I know that the Spirit is willing. I know what you've said. But you need to be ready. And that's what we need. Before the trial, before the suffering, before the difficulty, before the temptation, before the pain, before the life collapse, before it all happens, be praying. To get ready. If you've been on the planet long enough, you know it's coming. (laughs) If you've lived life long enough, you've come to learn that the next difficulties are around the corner. You know, the first one or two, you think, well, that was unusual. I hope that never happens again. And then you live long enough to realize, no, that's always going to happen. It's always going to be something. Something else is going to happen. There will be another difficulty to come. There will be another life challenge, another spirit, uh, faith challenge, another family challenge. There will be something else that's going to come. Jesus is absolutely warning us. You know it's going to be difficult. I think we can look at this world and realize faith going forward is going to be difficult. And you need to be ready. it's easy to say we will never quit we will never abandon we would never deny we would never give up I don't care how difficult it is we would certainly never abandon our Lord as easy to say Jesus is showing us the need for prayer and he gives us such a beautiful model this Abba father All things are possible with you. What a, what a beauty of what he says. And I want to highlight those words, Abba Father, because I want you to see what Jesus is doing right here is absolutely part of what we can be praying to God. It is not by accident that the Apostle Paul comes along in Romans 8 and says, now I want you to know something. Because you are His children, because you've been adopted as children of God, do you know what you get to pray to God and say? The same words Jesus did in his most dire moments "Abba, the Father. That's the kind of close relationship we have with God. That here is God saying, when the time is coming, when the difficulty arises, you are able to come to me. And here is Jesus in deep distress, very sorrowful. And the big thing He does is pray. Friends, we need to pray because temptation is always around the corner. Difficulty is always going to come. We are always going to be challenged for our faith. And Jesus is instructing His disciples here that we need to be awake and be ready because another attack will happen on your faith. Another difficulty, another temptation, another key piece of suffering. Will you be faithful? Will you be ready? Number two, I want you to notice the essence of the prayer that Jesus prays is about aligning his will to God's will. how many of our prayers are really about self-preservation? He just kind of boiled it all down. One of the things that is so interesting about what this gospel is doing is trying to show us that eternal glory to be able to be with the Father and the essence of the heart of a disciple is understanding that we must go through the cross and not avoid it. That there is no avoiding carrying the cross to follow Jesus. Our prayer life cannot be about avoiding difficulty So that we can be Christians, but recognizing to be a Christian is to accept the difficulty to understand that that is what is going to make it difficult for us if we are truly followers of him, that our faith is going to be challenged to such a degree. And Jesus expresses it so well that all things are possible with you. Here is, here is my desire, Lord. All things are possible with you, yet not what I will, but your will be done. It is not a self-preservation, but what is God's will. God, what do you want done in this circumstance? Let your glory be shown. Let your name be glorified. Let you be on display in this moment. Let all of our prayers be filled with the idea that we would end it and always be not only cognizant of it, But just really mean it from the depth of our heart. That what I want in the moment of my suffering and my pain or my trial or my distress is that God's will is done. That is what I care about the most. And I'm afraid how many prayers are just simply just make it stop. I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want any suffering. I don't want any pain. I don't want any difficulty. Just make it quit. The model of Jesus' prayer here is just so beautiful is that it is all about, Lord, what your will is. In This circumstance, that's what I want to have happen. We need prayers that are in the midst of trials and suffering and temptation and pain. To be filled with those words. Lord, here's what I desire. But you know what really matters the most to me? Is that your will is accomplished in this? I want your desires done. I want your will to be done in all of this. Prayer is not intended for us to just use it so that we would have our desires fulfilled right now, but God, we want your desires to be fulfilled right now. Which leads to my third observation in talking about all these things about the necessity of prayer and the model of prayer that we see that we need to pray we need prayer before the temptation comes and that we need to be praying for the will of God and not our own will I don't think there's any Christian that would say that's brand new information to me I've never heard that idea in my life the big question then is so why don't we do it? why do we fail? And I think Jesus' words here are just as true. But Jesus understands in verse 38, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If I could put ourselves into the boat of these disciples at this moment, I would submit that we are probably all of the exact same thinking as these guys. And that is we think we're ready when we're not. We think we're ready. We can say, like these disciples, bring it on. I would never leave. It doesn't matter what the trial is. It doesn't matter how bad you make it. I don't care if the government outlaws Christianity. I don't care if all of my family falls away. I don't care if you make my life difficult. I will always follow you. We will say it just like these guys. And I think just like these guys, we think we're ready and we're not. Because that's why we wouldn't pray these things. We think we're ready. Why why do I need to pray about preparation for temptation and trials and suffering and difficulty? I'm ready, so I don't need to pray that. And I'd hope that we would just consider that we might be just as unprepared as these disciples were. They had no idea what the next hour was going to be. And friends, we have no idea what the next hour is going to be. We don't know what is coming next. We don't know what Satan has come before God and said, all right, I'm going to do this. And God said, okay. And here it comes. Here comes the next big trial of life. Here is the next big wave to try to overthrow our boat of faith. And I want us to see there's nothing wrong with being distressed. I love that here. Jesus is distressed and sorrowful and troubled. Good, because that's what happens to me too. I need need that connection. There's nothing wrong with that. But friends, the answer is not the abandonment of Jesus, but the running to Jesus. That's what's being displayed here. Be prepared for that moment. Let me encourage us then that we would pray for strength. Pray for strength in whatever you're going through now and pray for strength for whatever lies ahead. Pray that we would have our will aligned to God's will. Whatever is going on right now, God, it is about your will being done. It is not about my comfort. It's not about what I like. It's not about my desires. God, I want your glory to be displayed through whatever this is. I want you to be glorified. I want your will to be accomplished. Pray that we'll be able to stand through it. It's not in this account here. When Jesus tells Peter, you know, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that that wouldn't be the case. That's a phenomenal thing. Can you imagine hearing Jesus tell you that? that is a stunning revelation. Satan's just trying to wreck you and I'm praying that that doesn't happen. Have you ever thought about the spiritual battle like that? Satan is absolutely trying to destroy your faith. We need to pray for strength. To pray to stand. And pray to be faithful. And finally, let me bring you back to verse 28 as we end. even though you all fall away. After I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Those are words to hug and squeeze and hold on to. You've fallen on your face over and over and over again and you think you won't deny Him, but you do and you fall in faith. Here's Jesus going, it's all right. I'm still going before you. I'm here for you. You may have abandoned me, but I do not abandon you. Today is your day to come back to the Lord. Today is the day if your faith has been weak. If you have been following your own desires and not the will and desires of God. The Lord takes you back. to tell these disciples, you are all going to miserably fail and I'll be right there for you after I raise from the dead. <laughs> I'll be right there. Those are the words we need. That you would turn back to the Lord with all your heart and see what a loving Savior we have who is going to the cross for us, who is going to endure the pain and the suffering for us, So that it would be possible that when we fall, we can come back to Him. Please consider your life. Please consider your place of faith. If you're not a Christian, will you turn away from your sins? Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian you have not put the Lord first and He has not been your everything, would you just look at the life of Jesus and look at this paragraph that we've looked at this morning and just consider it. All that He is doing for you. And how you can be strong and come to Him. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?